right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson along with Lane Gillespie for another edition of RCST. I'm on the four-day countdown before I head out to Germany but uh, we're going to have conversations with Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World coming up at about 3.40. Talk some KU basketball, some KU baseball talk as well with Matt. We're going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty at 4.40. And Kevin of 24-7 Sports will talk some KU and Big 12 basketball with us. Uh, we've got a top 10 list of popcorns coming up at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. NBA Finals are last night. KU football's had a couple commitments. Loaded show here today in the middle of summer, which isn't always the case. Uh, we continue on, though, with our deep dives, which we've gotten to most of the players. I think all that we have left is MJ Rice, Kyle Cuff, Grady Dick, and Jalen Wilson. I, I believe that's all that's left of the deep dives we haven't got to, so we're going to get to MJ Rice here today. Um, he committed to Kansas, ended up arriving in Lawrence, and that was, uh, I think, a win in its own. Like, obviously, it was a win to get him to commit, um, but to get him here because there were there were rumors that kind of circulated um, really when he was committing and after he committed for a little bit of time there that the G League Ignite was or, or going kind of the professional route where you play in one of those leagues where it's kind of like a semi-pro league, like you're getting paid to play there. It's not the NBA, but you're still getting scouted to that level. And then you go into the NBA draft the following season. Um, there, there was kind of rumors that that was going to be a real route that he was going to take, but he ended up arriving in Lawrence, which, like I said, that that's a win on its own. I would imagine that NIL, and I don't, I don't know this for a fact. Like, you know, I, I don't want to get anyone in trouble with the whole idea of like, oh, well, you're not supposed to give NIL based on the player playing there. Like, again, I, I'm not saying that happened. I don't think it did happen. I'm just saying. I think the idea of NIL being around so that he knows if I do decide to come to college, if I do decide to come to Kansas, I know there are going to be NIL opportunities for me there that can make me some money and I don't need to go that G League Ignite route or yeah, something like technically, that. Technically, I don't think it's an incorrect speculation. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, can't really get anybody in trouble by listing specifics of even if there are any that we have, which we don't because nobody knows if there are any technically. But yeah, I, I, I'm not saying that it, it, it's definitely not a bad spec. Yeah, and to be clear, like, I wouldn't really even care if they did or not. Like, if somebody did give him money on contingent to come into KU, like, honestly, it's happening at other schools, and I've always been a proponent of, like, I don't care. Just, just pay the players, give them their worth. Like, I don't really care. But from an NCAA perspective, you know, it. but nonetheless, the point is that now with NIL intact, I'm, I'm sure that did factor very heavily into the decision for, for a guy like that who had opportunities to go make money in playing in kind of those uh, that professional level, he is a six foot five, two hundred and twenty five pound chiseled wing. I, I think that's actually the exact measurements measurements. Um, it might be right around there that like Wayne Selden 
came in with. Yeah, I think he was about 210, 215, something like that, and then built a lot of muscle mm -hmm. in the three years that he was at KU. So, um, you know, think about like a, a power athlete wing type of guy. And he he has springs to him. He has some hops. He is he's got one of those fun like mixtapes. If you go back and I don't I kind of rarely watch like the mixtapes or, or highlights or whatever because how much are you gonna learn playing against these lower level high school competition? And it's it's a mix of highlights, like they're supposed to look good. Um but his is fun to watch because it, you have some like in the same way that Grady Dix is, like Grady Dick is hitting these tough shots and he's throwing down hammer jams. Like that's the case for MJ Rice. He is throwing down some powerful dunks. He is uh, ranked 29th in the 24-7 composite. He is one of the top four-star recruits. I think uh, the top 25 were all five-star recruits. He was just outside of making the list of five-star. Top 30 player in the country. McDonald's All-American. He's obviously very talented. Uh, Brandon Jenkins, who works for 24-7 Sports, did the scouting report on MJ Rice. Here is what he said via the 24-7 Sports profile on him. Rice is a powerfully built wing who is a true matchup nightmare in the high school game. He has the physical build of a Mack truck, but combines his powerful frame with a great amount of athleticism and skill. He is simply a strong-bodied wing who can score at all three levels. His strength allows him to be extremely efficient on the drive as he bullies and overpowers opposing defenders on his way to the rim where he is an elite finisher. Rice has a similar build to former Baylor undersized power forward Mark Vital, but does not have the same level of bounce, even though he is a threat to the basket protectors in the rim. But what makes him all the more special is that he can knock down the perimeter jumper with regularity. He can drain in jumpers off the bounce with range to the three-point line, and he has a knack for putting the ball in the basket as he is always a threat to go on exciting scoring runs. His effort, however, goes beyond scoring. He has a nose for the ball on the glass, and after snatching boards, he has the ball skills to lead the break to make something happen. Throughout this past year, Rice has been one of the more consistently productive prospects in the national 2022 class. He has the body and skill set to make an immediate impact in the college game, if that is the route he decides to move forward with, which obviously he did. Um, so like I said, body-wise, it's Wayne Selden. Honestly, like a lot of that kind of sounds like Wayne Selden, too. Like yeah, he's I'm a powerful driver. Thing. I mean, Wayne Selden could shoot, but his first two years he was inconsistent. That's kind of what the scouting report was there. Like he can make shots, he can go on flurries of, of hitting a bunch, but he's not maybe as consistent at it. Like that that's Wayne Selden. Then by the time Wayne Selden was a junior, he was very efficient from the outside. That and Selden kind of turned the ball over quite a lot from time to time his freshman and sophomore year. But he also had a lot of draft stock after his first year and still decided to stay, which I believe was a smart move on his part, albeit his draft stock did fall a little bit, but you know, I think MJ Rice is kind of the same thing. He could be a one-and-done guy, get a lot of draft stock in his first year. Then, of course, the decision can be up to him whether or not he wants to stay one or uh, another year or something like that. But I see a lot of similarity. I think we're going to see somebody Wayne Selden-like in MJ Rice, and I hope so with a name like MJ. Well, and it's funny because, like, if uh... – if MJ Rice has a Wayne Selden first season as a freshman, which Wayne Selden struggled um, as a freshman. Now, he did some things. Like, he still was overall a, a solid player. He played a lot of minutes uh, on a team that earned a two-seed in the NCAA tournament, but it, he wasn't, like, ultra-efficient from the field. And so, if uh, if that's the case for MJ Rice, which it's worth pointing out, as much as I make these comparisons, it's kind of funny because Wayne Selden was, like, a top you know, I think the RSCI had him as, as number 13. Some places had him as like a top 10 recruit, whereas MJ Rice is is top 30. So in theory, Wayne Selden should have the higher jumping off point. But yeah, for like Selden, he shot 
under 33% from three. He was under 63% at the foul line, under 10 points per game, less than a steal per game. Again, he was a solid player. He's a fine player. But if as much as Wayne Selden ended up being a really good player for KU, if you said that's going to be the freshman year for MJ Rice, I don't know if you would you would quite take that, even though I don't know. I th- I think I actually might. I think I would take that freshman season from okay. Wayne Selden. But I think for other people, you might say no. I want the high potential there of what he could be. Um, and, and so that's you know the it kind of comes down to two things in my eyes for what his fit could be on the team, how much he could play, what his role is, how impactful he could be, how good he could be. It's the shooting and how good he can be on defense. The shooting has been a big swing scale with a majority of the guys we've talked about, right? With Kevin McCuller, Jalen Wilson, Dwan here, so far, far down the list. It's the case for him as well. Um, the shooting, you can split it up into a couple different ways. Like, again, the scouting report there is that he can make threes. Like, it's like I remember when Jalen Wilson was coming out of high school. The scouting report on him was that he's a scorer. He's not really a shooter, but he's a scorer. Like, that's kind of the case for MJ Rice. You don't think of him as a shooter, but he can make shots. He scores the basketball. That's kind of the case there, but as we've seen with Jalen Wilson, he can shoot the three. He'll have some games where maybe he goes three of five. But overall, like last year, 27%, 26%. It was up to 34 in conference play. Um, you know, low 30s, his redshirt freshman year. That's kind of what I expect from MJ Rice. Like, there's going to probably be some games where MJ Rice goes like four of six from three. There's probably going to be some games where he might go 0 of four. I, I think it's just going to be kind of an inconsistency there. And to begin with, people who shoot the basketball, there always is irregularities because it is more of a inconsistent notion. Like Ochai had games where he struggled shooting. Ochai had other games where he went off. But I think even more so with the ups and downs of the shooting. And so there's two ways of looking at this with MJ Rice, the efficiency and the shot selection as far as the shot goes. So last summer, I, I don't have numbers on what he did this past season in high school. I, I tried to find it, couldn't see anything. But last summer, he was on the 3SSB circuit. Don't really know what that is, but obviously it's a big high school event circuit thing. He attempted 3.7 three-pointers per game. It's not like a huge amount, but a good amount. That would have been one of the top couple marks on KU this past season. Um, he shot just 28.8% from three over the 14 games there, according to Synergy. Again, if you're shooting 29% on the high school line, that's not going to lead you to all of a sudden think this guy is going to be like a a 38% three-point shooter in college. Part of that, though, and this goes back into the question, is the shot selection. Now, a lot of what he had to do, and this is part of the scouting report, he maybe was in more of a situation where he was having to given his team and who he was playing with, his role was to be more of the shot creator and the shot hunter and to sometimes take contested shots, sometimes take uh, shots off the dribble that maybe with this Kansas team around him, with the talent around him, with Bill Self coaching the team and getting open looks for him and getting opportunities off the catch, he might not have to take as many. So that could be a way the the shots goes up. So that becomes a question. Is the shot selection like it was that helped lead to the lower three-point shooting, is that a player trait where he just takes tough shots and, and he can make them, but he'll take a lot? Or is it something that he was doing out of necessity? That's something we're going to find out. As far as the defense, you never really know how a freshman is going to come in right away and play defense. I honestly don't remember 
the story about Wayne Selden, like how good his defense was when he came in as a freshman, if we're just continuing with that example. Uh, we've seen other freshmen come in, like, you know, uh, Andrew Wiggins played good defense um, as a freshman. Joel Embiid was a great defender as a freshman. Josh Jackson played good defense as a freshman. There were a few games, like I remember the game in West Virginia where he kind of got cooked by Issa Ahmad, and that was kind of out of the blue. But overall, he was like a good defender. Um, but you just never really know how freshmen are going to come. Like by the time Wayne Selden finished, he was a really good defender on the wing for KU. You just never know how they're going to play defensively right away. Like could that take time? And especially with Bill Self, and especially in a, a situation where if you're not playing great defense, if you're not following the scouting report and doing the little things, the little minute details that Bill Self wants, it's going to keep you off the court a little bit more. Um, so you never know how that's going to go. But if you just look at it from a standpoint of he is a 6'5 wing, built like a linebacker, who's athletic as all get up, all those things lead you to believe he has the potential to be an elite defender. The biggest question is just if he taps into that, how soon he clicks playing under self on that end because, you know, if the shooting doesn't come, if the shooting is like it was in, in you know, that example, he's 30% from three or something like that, um, but he's obviously still an elite driver to the, the lane and he's good in transition um, and he's playing really good defense, even if the shooting's out there, there's still a very big role for, for that player on any basketball team, but especially a Bill Self-coached basketball team. Um, but if you get both of the two, you know, we're, we're talking about a whole different thing. So that brings us into this, the realistic floor and the realistic ceiling. Um, technically, because this goes into the floor, if we're just talking about what he can be, I think the realistic floor is something similar to that Wayne Selden season I talked about, right? It's because Selden that year, about nine and a half points, two and a half assists, two rebounds or so. Like I said, not great efficiency from three, but it wasn't horrible. 32, 33%. Um, 29 minutes per game. Like as far as this, the realistic floor, it's probably something close to that. Like it could be seven, eight points per game, two, three rebounds per game, maybe an assist or two a game, uh, high twenties, low thirties percent from three, maybe not ultra efficient, but still overall a pretty good player. That's probably the, the realistic floor, like of, of what the bottom could be. Cause he's still a really good basketball player. Right. But as far as the rotation. You technically have up to 120 minutes to give out on the wing at the two through four positions, right? 40 minutes for each position times three gives you 120 minutes to work with. And that doesn't take into account any minutes where you're going to have two lead guards next to each other, where a Joe Yesifu or a Kyle Cuff or a Bobby Pettiford is playing at the two. And let's say we even see... 10 minutes of those two lead guards together with Dewan next to one of those other guys or, you know, Pettiford next to Yesfu, whatever pairing you want to talk about. And that might even be low. You could convince me it could be 15 or 20. Let's just say 10 minutes. That's now 10 minutes shaved off the 120 you have to give to wings at the two through four position. That gives you 110 minutes for Jalen Wilson, MJ Rice, Grady Dick, Kevin McCuller, and KJ Adams, who I think the idea is to play him on the wing. Let's say Jalen gives you 30 minutes. You have 80 left. Let's say McCuller gives you 30 minutes. You have 50 left. You now have 50 left for Rice, Dick, and Adams. That doesn't sound like a lot of minutes, right? Um, does that mean Adams gets left out and, and Grady Dick and MJ Rice each split the 50 minutes? Does one play 30 and the other plays 20? Do both play close to 20 and KJ Adams gets 8 to 10? Um, does Kevin McCuller get five less minutes and, and you get to divvy out that to somewhere? What happens if Grady Dick is your best shooter and overall maybe he's your best offensive talent 
and he has to play 30 minutes per game on a team that is more known for its defense and you need the offense in that situation is MJ Rice only getting 20 minutes per game. I honestly think we may have to extend it through uh, two through five, and I think we're probably going to get a scenario where we're going to play where KU is going to play small. Because yeah. if they are that good playing small, then keep them in. That's that's just that it might have to extend uh, from two through four to two through five. Yeah, I mean, you could play KJ at the five. You could play Jalen Wilson at the five. Like, I, I think that is a very real circumstance. I, I didn't really entertain the Jalen Wilson at the five this past season. I could definitely see it being a thing next. He's not as, like, the primary lineup, but right. if you can play five, ten minutes like that, it just helps kind of disperse those wing minutes a little bit more. It is hard to be a five when you're six foot eight. I'm just, I'm just It is, it that. is. He did play it a bit as his redshirt freshman year, but obviously in those minutes, KU struggled, you know, defending the rim in those minutes, to your point. Um, so, you know, if Rice is inconsistent with the shot and he doesn't necessarily earn Bill Self's trust as a young player defensively, even though he's a that's the other part of this, like, there is a... A political side to I'm not saying it's wrong to um when you get a McDonald's All-American you it's hard to just say like hey you're not going to play this year right for future recruiting so the floor there I still think is even if those things don't hit and even if you have all those other guys playing a ton of minutes I still think the floor is probably 20 minutes per game for MJ Rice and like I said having a Wayne Selden type season where you are averaging seven a game or, or something like that and having a, an impact, but maybe it's inconsistent. He did start every game, though. Wayne Seldon did in his freshman year. That's just the thing. Yeah, yeah. He was, uh, he was rely. I mean, they didn't really have the other options that this team had. I, I think, I guess he could have started like Andrew White or something, but as eh. far as, yeah, probably not. As far as realistic ceiling, um, I think he'd be a starter, right? It's, seems like it's, it's him versus Grady Dick for maybe the fifth. Starting spot, maybe you'd throw in Joe Yesfu or Bobby Pettiford at, at one of the other guard positions, uh, unless you're going to start small and start Jalen Wilson at the five. But again, I don't expect that to be I feel the like case. You're going to lose the opening jump every time if you do. Yeah, which I, they kind of did this past year anyway. So, yeah. uh, but nonetheless, um, he's a starter. He's probably a one and done. Is the realistic ceiling there? Beats out Grady Dick. Um, Maybe he's a more effective player. Maybe he's a better defender than Grady Dick. He shoots well enough from three to kind of offset what Grady Dick can provide you. You know, 33, 34% from three. Or who knows? Maybe it's even him being comparable to Kevin McCuller in terms of being versatile wings who can defend really well and, and drive into the paint. Maybe he's comparable there, so he eats into some of his minutes. That's how he gets to the starting point. That's how he gets to, like, 30 minutes a game. And... If he does hit and he does end up being a good shooter from three this year and he is a good defender and you're that athletic of a wing and, and you're shooting mid-30s from three and you are the good defender, like we're talking about a one and done in that situation. Um, as far as his play, the realistic ceiling there, if all that stuff works out, probably looking at an all-conference pick, probably looking at one of KU's three leading scores, something like that. Do you agree? Would you add anything on there for the oh, real no, I, I agree. I, ju I just think the big thing is just going to be playing time. But I know that um, I was I okay. I was going to say Bill Self usually figures out these things, but with that to happen, some circumstances have to happen. I'm thinking back to 2016-17 when that team was loaded with Frank Mason, LeGerald Vick, Devontae Graham, Sam Cunliffe was projected to be a really big talent, and then he ended up just coming off of the bench. Steve McKay, Luke, Josh Jackson, Carlton Bragg. Dwight Colby, Landon Lucas, Yudoka Azubuki. Azubuki got hurt. Colby did not earn a whole lot of playing time, so Lucas became the five-man, and then it became Mason, Devontae, Svi, and Josh. 
So it gets worked out eventually. Yeah, some people are not going to like it, but you have to take what's given to you. Now, is, if, now if it's uh, 12 minute quarters or something like that, or complete 48 minutes, and you could definitely figure out a lot better. But with 40 minutes, there are some people who are just not going to be happy, and you kind of just have to put up with it. And to be clear, I, I think MJ will be in a happy role uh, given the play that he's going to provide. I'm, I'm very high on what he could possibly be, but it is going to be interesting because, you know, like I said, you narrow it down. If you give 30 minutes to Wilson and McCuller and 10 minutes to the other guards, like I said, 50 minutes is all you would have left for Grady Dick, MJ Rice, KJ Adams, unless you're playing some small ball. He is Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Joined by Matt Tate on a Tuesday here from the LJ World, KUSports.com. This will be my last time talking to Matt for uh, a few weeks now, so... Uh, we got to hear from Bill Self yesterday, got to hear from Grady Dick, MJ Rice today at some KU media availabilities. And certainly when you take a look at the KU roster, like once again, it's it's another offseason where you have a lot of really good, really talented players, and you you can talk yourself into pretty much anybody on the roster, you know, playing some sort of role on the team. Um, but I think a, a lot of times people get sucked into the trap of well, this guy was was this good of a player. How uh, how is he not going to play? When in reality, we know that Bill Self. Once we get down to you know the nitty gritty in in March in the postseason, it's maybe only seven or eight guys in the rotation. Now during the regular season, it, it maybe goes up a little more. Maybe it's eight or nine guys. Maybe on a given game, if you're trying to kind of figure something out, it's it's even ten guys. But even then, you're still cutting some guys off who are not necessarily going to play. So. Uh, what do you look at as being maybe the biggest position battle or uh, maybe a player that you find is in a spot um, that maybe intrigues you the most because right now it's kind of unclear what their spot in the rotation could be? Oh, man, there's a lot for sure. I, I thought it was interesting that, that Self said yesterday that, um, you know, all, a lot of the spots are open, right? I mean, obviously, Dewan's going to start and Jalen's going to start, and that was about as far as he was willing to take it. Um I think Kevin McCullough starts, but he also has to prove that and show that he deserves that and, you know, come in here and, and belong and earn that. So, you know, it's not a, it's not a lock maybe, but I do think he's pretty likely as a starter. But, um, you know, having said that, I, I've definitely looked at the five spot quite a bit, but the more I look at it, um, you know, the, the more I think that Zach Clements is set up for a, a, a really awesome opportunity and a great role, and, and I think he's going to take it and run with it. So I don't know that that one intrigues me quite as much as it used to. Um, and, and I think that second guard position is maybe what I'm most excited about because it, it probably has, or at least most excited to learn about and see unfold because it, it probably has more options than any other position, right? I mean, yeah, at the five you could go with Zach or you could go with Cam Martin, or you could go with Ernest, or you could go with Zuby, you know, but Ernest and Zuby are freshmen. I do think Ernest is going to play a lot. Um, I, I think that Cam Martin won't play a lot, so that kind of settles that one down a little bit. And All of a sudden, there's not as many options. I don't think K.J. Adams is an option there. So I think the two, the, that, that two spot is really – really wide open because you could make a strong case that Bobby Pettiford could start there. You could make a strong case that Joe Yosefu is going to make uh, make some noise and be a factor as a starter there. You could certainly start Kevin McCuller there and then go with uh, MJ or Grady at the, at the three position. Um, 
you know, I just think that there's a lot of different avenues that they can explore and and different ways they can play and probably different ways they will play. I mean, it's just because one guy starts doesn't mean that X lineup or Y lineup won't happen. It just means, you know, this is the five on the floor to start the game. So the more I look at it, and I think it's it's largely because of the potential of each one of those guys. I mean, Kevin McCullers an all league player, potentially. Um, Joe Yusefu, he, he, talks confidence he believes he can play at this level he believes he can be a big time factor now we just have to see it if, he, if given the opportunity uh everybody knows how self feels about bobby pettiford and uh I, I think he should feel that way i think pettiford's phenomenal and and waiting to break out so there's a lot of big time potential from each of those guys and and so it's not only the number of guys that could play that spot but it's the fact that there's some real real players there. I mean, guys that could really play a huge role in, in determining how good this team is or isn't as, as things continue to go. So um, for me, that's probably it. I just, I just, uh, I, I think that it, it's very clear that Dewan and Jalen and I like McCullers. So after that, it's, it's kind of, you know, where do you go from there? Yeah. And I agree with you that that backup guard spot or the second guard spot, like you said, if it's a starter is, is interesting. And, um, you know, if you if you're just figuring that Dewan Harris is back and and you lose the minutes there of kind of that backup point guard with Remy Martin, that's maybe twenty twenty five minutes to give a game. You could theoretically say that well, fifteen will go to whoever wins the battle, ten will go to the other guy, and they'll all play. But like I said, we know once it gets to like the the big moments of the game or um, conference play, even like it's it it doesn't come down to a well you're a little better than him so we'll split up the minutes but you'll get a little more it comes down to just like one guy is going to cannibalize most of those minutes because they're just better that just seems to be how it goes uh so I'm curious do you view because you know obviously Dewan Harris Jalen Wilson no matter what KU fan you would ask I'm, I'm sure they would view it as as a lock to be a starter coming into next season do you view Kevin McCuller in that same light as being a lock to be a starter for KU I, I think he should be. I mean, you know, like I said, he's got to come in here and 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 work and and earn the spot and belong and and fit in and all those things. But everything I know of him, the times I've talked to him, there's no reason to think that he won't um, at least put in the work, you know, and and do what's required. I don't think he's a prima donna walking in here expecting. Well, I'm the hot shot in town. Give me my job and get out of my way. Like that's that's not him at all. So I do think that. I do think that it's it's set up for him to be that, um, and 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 partly because of the versatility he brings to the floor. I mean, self called him a perfect fit for what they were looking for yesterday. I mean, that's high praise. Like you know that that's that's from a head coach who doesn't doesn't love handing out compliments like that. And he called him those words, perfect fit for what was available in the transfer portal and what we needed. So if that doesn't hint at you know, this guy's probably going to be a starter, um, then, then A, that means somebody else probably played lights out to pass him. And it could happen. I mean, like, could, could and, and I've probably said this to you before, I mean, if Jalen stayed in the draft and McCuller didn't transfer, you're probably looking at, at Grady Dick and MJ Rice both starting. So 
you know, and, and obviously they could have added other guys and things like that, but, but those guys are both capable of starting and will be big time players in that rotation. So it's, it's not crazy, but you know, if McCullough doesn't start, that means one of those guys, and it could be Pettiford, like we said, it could be a number of different guys, but it would probably mean, at least in my eyes, that somebody else went lights out in, in camp and in the preseason. And if that's the case, then, you know, wow. Um, you'll take that if you're KU. Yeah, and and you know, obviously, we we think of him as as being that perfect fit, like you said that the Bill Self talked about. Um, but I guess we we have seen it before, like Remy Martin, perfect example, where this transfer comes over and you think, oh, he'll automatically start, and doesn't end up being the case because he's a newcomer. Maybe it does take some time. I just I have a hard time thinking that he wouldn't fit in because of what he does defensively and, and the versatility. And so if, if he is a starter and, and you have obviously Jalen and Dewan Harris and then whoever the center is, obviously that leaves you with four of the five starters. Um, and where I'm going with this is that you only have one starting spot left for MJ Rice and Grady Dick and, and or, you know, one of those other point guards. But let's say it's one of those wings between Rice and uh, Dick, the two freshman uh, really talented wings. And again, like both can play a sizable role on the team, so it's not that that hinders the other, but um, you start to you know run out of of minutes uh, certainly by by kind of divvying stuff out. Uh, do you have an early lean on who you would go with between Grady Dick versus MJ Rice for I guess that potential last starting spot right now? Two weeks ago, I would have said Grady uh, without question. I think he's a better shooter. Uh, I think he's he he might be the best shooter on the team, um, and then we saw them scrimmage last week, last Wednesday, and it, it entirely changed my opinion. Um, MJ Rice is a monster. Um, I've seen him four or five times now, briefly in person, up close after that scrimmage, and uh, or counting that scrimmage, I should say. And he's a beast, man. He is a physical, grown dude who will have no problem with the adjustment to the, to the level of physicality um, that, that comes with, with making the jump from high school to Division I basketball. So, um, you know, and let's throw on that, that he has a ton of skill. He's a good shooter. Um, he can score at all three levels. I mean, he's, he's just smooth. And, and so having seen that on film was one thing. You know, I watched some of his highlights and things of that nature. Um, but to see it in person, and I know it's just a camp game, and I hate being that guy that makes so much out of one lousy camp game that's probably being played at 80% max level, you know. I mean, no one there is going that hard or anything like that. But to me, that was almost the, the, the part of it that, that impressed me the most. I mean, it's like even in a game where he's not even trying that hard, he still stood out to me. So, um, you know, it can change. If you ask me when you get back from your uh, your trip – I may have seen enough. Uh, heck, if you ask me Thursday, I may have seen enough. You know, it, it may change again, and it may change again after that. And, I, I mean, I think those guys are going to be uh, locked together, linked together, and, and constantly, and Self basically said that, right? Like, they're going to compete for a starting spot. Um, and, and so I think they'll be linked like that forever. And it, it, you, you could definitely make it a situation where, well, you know, which guy earned it this week, right? Like, who looked better in practice? Let's go with him. Let's go with him this week and, and keep flipping and flopping. I don't think that's the way Self likes it, and I, and I don't generally think that that's the way to do it either. So 
I think one of them will emerge as a first unit kind of guy, and the other will settle into a nice role as, yeah, I'll come in and do whatever you need me to do. The cool thing is both of them have that mentality to handle either one of those things. If they're a starter, they're going to play the exact same way as if they're coming off the bench and vice versa. So it becomes probably a matter of, of which one is a little bit more reliable defensively. And I think because of his physicality and his size and his strength, I think MJ is in a better position to be ready for that more quickly. Um, but, you know, playing defense for Bill Self, not no easy task. It's demanding. And, and so it's not just about your physical strength and things of that nature. It's about your mental part of it, too. So um, it, it, it would be a fun thing to just go to every practice and just watch those two and just log how they – how they perform and how the the quote unquote race to start is shaping up because I think there will be times where the coaching staff even feels like, oh wow, Grady's in the lead a little bit. Man, he had a great week, and then MJ will do things the next week to go. Oh my God, we got to start him. And and I think I think that'll go on for most of the summer and probably a lot of the preseason too. But you know, eventually, I think one of them will 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 sort of establish himself as as the guy, so to speak. And, um, and, and if you had, you know, if you made me guess right now, I, I would lean toward MJ Rice. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I, I feel like the, the kind of swing skill there for the two guys, you mentioned the defense, like if Grady Dick can play good defense, then maybe that's what gets him ahead. If MJ Rice, if the, the shot is reliable then that gets him ahead, because otherwise if the starting lineup is Dewan, uh, MJ Rice, Kevin McCuller, Jalen Wilson, that's a lot of guys who I think we all, you know, a little less so with Dewan, like that's more of a selective shot. But in the case of McCuller, Wilson, and MJ Rice, it's guys that you know can hit threes and can catch fire from out there, but we haven't always seen it consistently. So uh, definitely going to be interesting to monitor that kind of position battle as well. Uh, we're talking with Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. I did want to touch base on the baseball vacancy before we let you go. You've been doing some reporting and, and writing some stories at KUSports.com about this. Where do things stand right now in that process, and who are some of the guys that you look at as, pun intended here, home run hires? <laughs> I know my headline yesterday was in-person interviews on deck yeah. for Kansas baseball, you know, and I just keep finding myself doing that. But that's because we don't write about baseball a whole a ton, you know. I mean, a lot of the games we cover are, you know, KU lost or KU won, and that's the, that's the headline. But these headlines haven't been overused just yet because it's not a year-round thing so um but but yeah to answer your question i mean i they are in the in-person interview stage i was told today um earlier that jordan bischel i hope i'm pronouncing that right um is on campus and you can only imagine that means interviewing i know he's in the mix and so i don't know why he, he would be on campus if not here for an interview uh he's the central michigan head coach uh he's been there four years and I hadn't looked a ton into him until I heard today that he was on campus. Um, I started to, though, just before, just before you grabbed me. And, um, man, he's got a pretty good resume. I mean, four years there, one of them was the COVID season. The first year and the third year, which, you know, bookended that COVID season that got wiped out, um, he went to an NCAA regional. Uh, he won 40 games in each of those years. And that's in his first and third and really first and second years at a brand-new program. 
Um, before that, he was a D2 guy, a couple of NCAA regionals there, and then an NAIA coach before that. I mean, he's only been a head coach for, I think it's 10 seasons, nine full seasons. Um, and, and he's he's done a lot in that short period of time. So he's 41 years old. Um, you know, are there other guys that are just as impressive? You bet. But after looking into him a little bit more, they could do a lot worse than him, man. That's for sure. So, I, I, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people. It's funny because there's a lot of people that are way more willing to pick up the phone and talk to me about this than maybe the football search, probably because the stakes are a little higher every time there's a football search. I think KU plays it closer to the vest. Um, they're trying to keep things, you know, from being from being revealed, right? Like they don't they don't necessarily want to show those things um, and get everything and every candidate and every visit out there for everyone to see. So with baseball, it's a little lower priority, lower stakes, and not that they don't want to make a great hire. There's just not as much uh, chatter about it, so to speak. So um, I, I get the feeling from the people that I've talked to that, that there's a lot of good current head coaches that are interested. And I think if you look at the way he, Travis Goff, that is, did the search for Leipold, there's a lot of similarities. And, and you could probably understand that there'd be a, a reason for him to do something similar, which is hire a guy like Lance Leipold, who was a program builder and a head coach, you know? So if it goes different than that, there are a couple of assistant coaches that are certainly in the mix and would be worth looking at and have been looked at. But my gut, and it's really nothing more than that right now other than talking to people, but my gut tells me it's, they're going to hire a, a head coach, somebody with head coaching experience. So I still think it could be done by the end of the week. Um, I think that I think that it's possible that, you know, introduced maybe next week, but an announcement made this week, something like that. But, you know, they're, they're definitely not going to rush anything just for the sake of rushing it. He is Matt Tate. You can check out all his work, including the latest on that KU baseball coaching search over at KUSports.com and in the LJ world. Matt, I appreciate the time as always, man. Yeah, man. Thanks, Derek. Have a great trip, and uh, you will be missed, and uh, there will be plenty to talk about. So book me for like a solid hour when you're back. Let's just go for it. I love it. I love it. I'm going to take you up on that. Well, Matt, I appreciate it as always. I'll have fun in Germany, and uh, maybe I'll get you like a Stein or something as a, as a thing. Well, just drink a, just drink something out of one for me. That's all you need to do. You don't need to bring it back. Yeah, there you're, you go. Like you're, a, you're, a you're deserving of this time, though. Go have a blast, and, and you can tell me all about it when you get back. And, uh, yeah, we'll miss you, but we'll try to keep things really boring while you're gone. Don't worry. <laughs> no, I know something's big is going to come out. Uh, but who knows? No, no. no. Hopefully not. No. Hopefully not. All right. Well, Matt, appreciate it again, and uh, we'll talk to you in a few weeks. Sounds good, Derek. Thanks, man. That was Matt Tate, Orange Journal World, KUSports.com. I'm Derek Johnson, Lane Gillespie. One hour down, two to go. Kevin Flaherty joins us at 440. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Did you know that on our website, KLWN.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059KissFM.com, Bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab, and it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. We have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card to. So just go to the website, click Hometown Deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. 
Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk, 4 o'clock hour. We're going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports coming up here in about 35 minutes from right now. We also got to get to some KU football news in the 5 o'clock hour, and we're going to talk about the NBA Game 5 of the finals that happened last night. But uh, we have a top 10 list for the day, and, you know, everywhere I go, people are eating popcorn, popcorn this, popcorn that. What is the best type of popcorn? I'm going to tell you right now in another top 10 list of top 10 popcorns. Go ahead and hit the music lane. And let's get into our top 10 list of popcorns here. Number 10. Number 10. Pre-made popcorn, like packaged popcorn, basically. Um, You can go to the store and just buy like popcorn that's already made like in bags or get like chips or or something like that or or in the tin cans. It's fine. It's popcorn. It's easy to snack on. It's not like bad, but it's a a little stale. It's a little cardboardy. It's not great. That's why pre-made is is in at number 10. I like, um, oh gosh, I forget what the brand is called, but it's like supposed to be a little bit healthier like it's like 100 calorie like little small bags of popcorn oh what is that like what boom, it's called not boom chicka pop is that i have no idea well, that, that might um, be it i don't know i don't know um i think it's delicious though and i like to get those as snacks all the time yeah yeah i i just like think of when i immediately think of packaged popcorn i think of the like the the popcorn where it's like it's kind of rubbery and it doesn't really have yeah. much butter or salt flavor to it but again it, it's still popcorn it's fine Number nine. Ninth on the list, zebra popcorn. Um, you can also just go with like chocolate covered popcorn because it's very similar. Have you ever had zebra popcorn? Nope. Okay, so zebra I'm, popcorn. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm pretty sure I haven't had half of the popcorn <laughs> okay. that's on this list, but not I'll a take popcorn your word connoisseur. It. Not a popcorn connoisseur. I um, mean, I can be, but it just depends on the day. Uh, so the zebra popcorn is like. It's like white chocolate and dark chocolate, like kind of drizzled on some of the popcorn. And, and most of the time it's already like, it's it's very much overkill, but um, it's, you know, you can have like caramel popcorn that gets covered in this and it's like a chocolate caramel. It's very good. But again, like I said, it can be overkill. It is right. um, not something that you want to have every day. It's, it's not something that, like honestly, it, it's so easy if you have like a bag of popcorn to just house that whole thing in one sitting. It's hard to do that with zebra popcorn because it is more rich. You can only eat, like, you know, you'll have a few and it's really good, but then it gets kind of old fast. But zebra popcorn, pretty good in at number nine. Number eight. Stadium popcorn. Um, So this just applies to, like, live events, sporting events, you know, concert. I don't know, whatever. You go in and you get the popcorn. And, again, like, there's something missing there. Overall, stadium popcorn is still good. I'm gonna eat it. I'm gonna I'm gonna probably eat the whole bag while I'm there. It's very easy to snack on. I by the way, I am someone who I don't know how you eat your popcorn. Are you a one kernel per per bite person or are you a grab a handful and just shove it in? I would say in between the two. Like I'll grab like a few fingerfuls, like four or five kernels, okay. and then just take them. I am a full blown cup a large thing of popcorn and just shove in as many kernels in my mouth as possible and eat it up um but it makes the bag go a little bit faster and with stadium popcorn i'm still going to do that but again like the difference with stadium popcorn it's kind of been out for a while like it's not as buttered it's not as salted it doesn't have as much flavor 
sometimes you can get a little stale if, if you happen to run into, you know, I don't know, maybe they've been reusing the popcorn from past weeks or something like that. Uh, yeah, not great. So stadium popcorn, it, it'll it'll uh, kind of itch your, your scratch, so to speak, of your popcorn quenching. But overall, still not great. Number seven. Number seven, Pirate's Booty. Do you know what Pirate's Booty is? A lot of people have found out do not know what Pirate's Booty is. I hope it's popcorn. It is popcorn. Okay. <laughs> um, so apparently, yeah, you, so you don't know. Okay. Um, Pirate's Booty is honestly not something I found out about until I, because I lived all over Texas, Colorado, California. I don't think I found out about it until I lived in Southern California. So I don't know if it's like a regional exclusive thing. I know they have it in the okay. Northeast as well. It's it's essentially like, you know, you have your bag of chips. Um, so it's a bag of popcorn, but it's very good. So it's it's like aged white cheddar flavored. Interesting. So it's it's the popcorn. And again, it's not like your ultra fresh popcorn because it is more the package. So it is more like the rubbery stuff. But that white cheddar flavor is very good. It's very easy to just eat pirate's booty and not, uh, that sounded bad i hope that's not a drop um good job Derek. <laughs> but it's very easy to um just consume a whole canister a whole bag of that um and i think you're now regretting it. putting it on the list i am and i'm like thinking through in my head i'm like how do i get around saying something bad here anyway number six number six cinnamon popcorn sounds good never it, had it yeah sounds good. Do, you, do you like uh like red hots yeah, those. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. So it's it's not to that level. Like Red Hots, you get that kind of like it's not spicy, but that you, you know what feeling I'm talking about. If you've had Red Hots before, this is that, are you talking about the candy? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, hot tamales yeah, or candy. something like that. Um, I th I yeah, think yeah, that, hot, that's the I, brand sorry, that I've had. Hot I, what are Red Hots? I think Red Hots are the same thing, just a different brand. Um, hot tamales used to be my favorite, and I still eat them from time to time. But yes, I was talking about hot tamales. Okay. Um, yeah, Red Hots are, I don't even know. Those are like, they're like Skittle versions, maybe? Probably. Hot tamales. Anyway, um, yes, those. It, it's kind of like that, but without as much of the burn. But it's good. It's it's almost like candied popcorn where, you know, with caramel popcorn, you get kind of the hard outer shell of the caramel. That's what you get with the cinnamon popcorn. It's red. Tastes good. I like Hon it. Honestly, even if it had the burn a little bit like it does with uh, hot it's, tamales, I would still yeah. eat it. Oh, I would too. I think I think it. I, I still think that would be delicious. It made it a little more. I'm gonna neutral. have to grab myself some when mm -hmm. I get home. Number five. Yeah, I've had it before in like the the tins, or you can get like the thirds of everything. Um, number five into the top five microwave popcorn. It's a classic, yeah. easy to make. You can, you know, it's topping to taste. You can add as much or as little butter as you want. You can add as much or as little salt as you want. You have other things you like to put in there. I don't. I'm pretty classic. I just do the little bit of butter in there, a little bit of uh, uh, of salt. Yep, um, but microwave popcorn's good, man. It's, again, you do, like... You do add the risk of burning it, though. You do. You do. And then that's always a challenge. Um, the same way... I actually... We at home, so my wife is a big fan of popcorn. We have the... It's, it's like a popper on the stove. You oh, put it okay. in there and they pop and you put the butter and all that yeah. stuff. And, and that makes really good stuff. I didn't put that on the list just because, like, I thought that was too niche. Um, but nonetheless, microwave popcorn, it's easy to make. It gets the job done. It's better than, like, the pre-made stuff because it's it's still warm. But it's still not quite the level of, like, movie theater popcorn. Right. It's microwave popcorn in at number five. Number four. Kettle corn. Mm. This one's a little more controversial, I've found out. 
I love kettle corn. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. When I grew up, I grew up in Topeka, not too far from here in Lawrence. And every weekend, I think when I was like 10 or 11, we would go to the farmer's market, which I believe was like Saturday mornings, it would be downtown. We'd always get this big thing as a ke- uh, of kettle corn. Um, and it'd be gone by the end of the week. Not just from me, just from my family, but like it would be gone by the end of the week. And so the cycle would repeat, go back to the farmer's market, get another thing of kettle corn, and then just eat it all in, in the week and then it just goes on. Kettle corn is very easy to do that. It, it's got kind of that sweet tinge to it in addition to being popcorn. It's a little different. And, and like you said, it is, it's it's just so easy to snack on and, and eat on. Um, there are times, though, where y- you almost feel like, you know, I, I want some more of the salty flavor here, which is why I didn't have it in the top three necessarily. But kettle corn is still delicious. So I have it in at number four. I think the microwave kettle corn, I think, is kind of disgusting. I think, I've never like, had that. It, it's it's. I've tried it. It's not great. It's a, don't. Yeah, you got to get it like you said, like farmers market or from a food truck or at a right. carnival or something you like that. Number three. Third on the list is caramel corn, or as other people call it, caramel corn. Mm-hmm. Caramel corn is fantastic. It is, in my opinion, taking kettle corn to the next level because you get kind of the sweetness of the popcorn. Kettle corn is really good. Caramel corn, I think, perfects that. Um, I think caramel corn is probably the best of the sweet popcorns, in my opinion. I would agree. It it gets the chef's kiss from me. It does. Um, So good. And the only issue why it's not in the top two, it's just that, I don't know. Like, again, it's easier to... I do think sometimes it can be too sweet. Exactly. Like, yeah. in the same light that if I get a, a a big thing of popcorn at the movie theater, I could house that whole thing over the course of the movies. Or me and my wife could house, right? It's harder to do that with caramel corn because of the richness there and the sweetness that eventually it does get a little too much. So for that reason, it's not in the top two, but it is good enough to be in the top three. Number two. Number two is cheesy popcorn. Could have just called it cheese popcorn. Um... So you have the, usually it's it's orange cheese colored. Um, if you have white cheddar, that's good too. Uh, but just like cheese popcorn in general. And, and obviously you have the, the main classic little center divider of the three. Like I said, you can get some that are custom with the cinnamon popcorn. But the, the classic one that everyone's used to, it's the regular popcorn. It's the cheese popcorn. It's the caramel popcorn. Now, some people do this where they take out the divider and they just let it go all at once. I've never really done that. Sounds interesting to me, though. It's not that I think it sounds gross or anything. Um, Pers- personally, I like cheese in my popcorn, but I also don't know what you're talking about just because I've no never idea had. What talking about? I have. N- I haven't had that little divider thing. It's just what You've I never did gotten like up. the popcorn tins. No. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay, so you at least know the popcorn tins. Yes. Okay. I just never got one. Just basically what I did. I would always microwave popcorn and then I put it in a bowl and then put some shredded cheese on it or maybe like cut some slices of cheese from a brick and just have that on the side or put it in with your popcorn. My mother actually introduced me to that when I was very young, and it was actually pretty darn good. I've never done that. The cheese I've always had on it have been the, you know, it's almost like the powdered, like stuff you have on like Cheetos, essentially. It gets right. on your finger and stuff. That would be good. I it have is. not tried that. That would be good. So you've never had like that type of cheese popcorn? No, I've had like what? actual cheese on popcorn. But not like the the powdered stuff like you get on Cheetos. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm going to put we're learning both, new things about each other. I'm going Derek. to put these both up for a poll. Have you ever had popcorn Perfect. with cheese on it, like real cheese on it? And then the other part that I'm going to ask is, um, 
have you ever had cheese? I, I, that's, I, I don't even know if I should put this up for a poll because I don't know how to distinguish the two. They're I think I sound think, like the same thing. I think we can already say ahead of time the majority of people are going to say no, they haven't put real cheese on it, and they have had the little uh, Cheeto dust that they've had. On, See, on I thought that would have been the evolution, right. not just the that's only the thing I'm doing. Right. So anyway, all right, let's get to number one. I think you probably know what number it is. Number one. It's got to be. Movie popcorn. Yes. Movie popcorn is Movie popcorn. I have on several occasions, if me and my wife are like, hey, let's watch a movie tonight or something, or, or there's something out on a streaming service, or we rented something, or whatever. We're like, let's watch this movie tonight. There have been several occasions I've gone out of my way, and I live on the opposite end of the movie theater here in town. Go out of my way to go to the movie theater, pick up popcorn, and I think a lot of the people, when they see you come into the movie theater, grab a thing of popcorn and then leave, are like, what is that guy's deal? But I do it anyway. I love doing it. Movie theater popcorn is so darn good. I don't I know what it is. I just hate that it's, like, so darn expensive. Yeah. That's just uh, the pro thing. tip. Tuesdays, half price everything over at the movie theater. All right. I will take that right? into mine. But, yeah. You're movie right. Pop, is so movie popcorn is so darn good. It is. Especially when you can, if you can go to a place, like if you love butter in your popcorn, yep. you can go to a place you can dispense that butter into it. Oh boy. Yeah. I, that's the thing. I think that's what it is. I think it's the movie theater butter that they have with it, but the yeah. popcorn is so good. It's freshly, you know, made, you get the salt and everything. I saw somebody and I'm actually interested. This, this may sound like too much for some people, but I'm actually interested in trying this. I was behind li in line uh, of someone a couple weeks ago when I went to the movie theater. And they got a thing of popcorn, and they ordered a thing of butter on the side. Okay. So they gave them like a, you know how they have those little plastic clear yeah. cups that you can yeah. like share water in and stuff. Mm -hmm. They filled it up maybe a quarter of the way or something. like. I think it wasn't that much, like halfway. And the beauty of that is that you get to, instead of just, hey, they pour all the butter and now it's on all the, the ones at the top. You get to, as you go, apply. And now every level huh. of popcorn is buttered an even amount. It's huh. genius. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I mean, there have been some inventions that have come out of those straws that you can put it in. There's a little opening in the middle, so where you can also get some butter into the middle of your popcorn. Mm -hmm. But well, that's genius. Yeah, right. So uh, if if I don't know, maybe there'll be an uptick in people doing that, or maybe people are like, I don't want to hold a cup of butter next to me, which right. I understand that as well. I uh, will say though, that would be very messy if you spill it. Yeah. Yeah, don't spill it. That is our top 10 popcorns. He's Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Shock Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. 20 till 5, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Lane Gillespie. I am Derek Johnson. Didn't have Kevin Flaherty on last week. He was uh, enjoying Alaska, and uh, I don't know if Kevin knew this, but I'm going to be out in Germany the next couple of weeks starting on Saturday, so we get one kind of time in between where we'll eclipse over each other like the, the moon over the sun or however that works, um, where we'll talk with Kevin Flaherty right now of 24-7 Sports. This was several weeks ago, but you wrote an article, Kevin, uh, going through the projected point totals that Bart Torvik provided for KU next season. Now, we talked about 
last time you were on the Bart Torvik like team projections, but more of the individual stuff for KU. When you look at that that list of of you know who's going to average what points or the projection there from Bart Torvik, was there any player that stuck out to you that you think could most surpass their point projection? Yeah, I think Zach Clements is the one that that jumps out first, second, third, fourth, and fifth probably <laughs> on that list uh, because I think he had Clements. Uh, I, I think he had him seventh or eighth on the team in scoring. You know, I think that he had him somewhere around three or four points in game, something like that. Yeah, I've that. got it right in front of me. It's eighth on the team in scoring at 4.2 points per game. There you go. Not not a bad memory by me. No, but yeah, good job. It, it, it was one that uh, I, I feel like when you look at it um, from a formulaic standpoint, which, you know, Bart isn't, isn't necessarily plugging these things in himself in terms of saying – this is where I think these guys are going to go. It's a combination of, hey, this guy did this the previous year. Here's what he could do the next year. These recruits are coming in. And so you look at it from that standpoint, and it's easy to say somebody like Ernest Uday, hey, this guy is going to start, and he's going to score more points because he's going to start. He was the highest recruited big man that, that Kansas brought in, the highest ranked big man that they brought in but I really think that Zach Clements has a nice you know sort of runway to that starting spot if he improves the way that all of us think that he will if his body comes together the way that a lot of us think that he will and so if you're talking about a guy who's going to be your starting center perhaps like I think that he is and you look at his strengths which I think we can all say is shooting and scoring at this point you know, Clements was really the guy that that I think has a chance to be a double-digit point-of-game type of guy this season. And so for him to, to be eighth on the team in scoring, you know, 4.2 points a game, like you said, that that was one that jumped out to me as, okay, that that's maybe pretty deflect from, from what it has a chance to actually be. What about on the flip side? Were, were there any player? There, there's one obvious one for me, so I, I feel like you're going to have the same answer here, of uh, guys who maybe it's a, it's a little too inflated with their point-per-game numbers. Well, I'm guessing for you it's it's going to be DeWan Harris. Yes. Um, it's at 11.9, 12 which is second yeah. on the team. Yeah, um, which I, I think it would surprise a lot of us if DeWan Harris were the second-best scorer on the team. I, I do think that you know, he's probably going to improve as a scorer. I think he's going to improve as a shooter. And we've talked on this show before. I think there's a tendency because Dewan Harris has been around for so long, even though he's really only played for a couple of years, there's a tendency to look at him and say, you know, what you see is what you get. Like this is this is the final version. There are no more power ups, you know, for mm-hmm. Juan Harris to to take, and and I think that's a little bit short-sighted. I do think that there's improvement still there, but I do think that Harris's formula as a player, he's at his best when he's setting other players up and when he's playing sort of that true point guard. And so if he's scoring 12 points a game, it wouldn't necessarily be a, you know, a huge shock or anything like that, but I do think that if he's doing that, that means that maybe something else has gone wrong, Derek. Like, I think that, you know, that's a point where 
you know, we, we talked about a couple years ago uh, with Marcus Garrett when he was a senior, and he wound up taking some of the late-game shots. And it was, it was something where I think Marcus Garrett would have even admitted, hey, I'm not the best offensive player on this team. And so the fact that those shots were, were maybe falling to him in late-game situations where he was having to make a play offensively, it wasn't an ideal situation, and it really spoke to the struggles that other players had to create their own shots. And so if DeWan Harris is sitting here at the end of the year, he's the team's second-best scorer, uh, I think that it's less likely that it's because that he took this giant leap. I think it's probably more likely that, hey, maybe MJ Rice, you know, maybe some of these other guys weren't as ready as uh, as they had hoped, and he had to take on a bigger scoring role than maybe what Kansas would have wanted. The, yeah. the guy who jumps out to me too, in addition to that, is is Uday for the same reasons I said with Clements. I think they've got Uday at seven points a game or right around there um, as the starting center. And I think I think not only is um, not only is Zach Clements going to be the starting center. You know, I think KJ Adams is is potentially going to push for for minutes at that spot as a switchable guy who brings something totally different. And then I think too, I'm not entirely sure that Ernest Uday right now is a better player than Zubiedia for is. You know, I know that that Uday is the higher ranked recruit. I think that he's got a higher ceiling than, than Zuby does. But at the same time, you know, Zuby is is one of those guys who's just really highly productive. And so uh, I think that even if it's a situation that he does wind up being the number two center behind Clements, I see that being really a timeshare with, with multiple players to, to the point where it's going to be really hard for him to be in a situation to score seven or so points a game. Yeah, I think uh, I would probably agree with both those. I, I'm interested with Dewan, like, uh, the guy I think of career arc wise, I wonder if scoring wise at some point, like Xavier Simpson, who was this defensive first guard for Michigan, he ended up averaging 13 a game and, and his last year. And both guys are similar in that, like for Xavier Simpson, it was the, uh, you know, he has that kind of running hook shot for a six foot guy. Yes. And Dewan has that kind of runner from the outside that, that is kind of similar. Um, but yeah, I would, I mean, Dewan was at, five, a little over five, five and a half points per game this past season. I, I feel like, I don't know, six, seven, maybe eight points per game is kind of what I was thinking. So that would be my... Uh, my I'd favorite. be a lot more comfortable with that, too. Yeah, yeah right around in there. Um, is, you know, with MJ Rice, um, we did our uh, deep dive earlier today on him as we've been kind of going through some of the different players. Realistically, like what positions do you view? And I guess it doesn't really matter that much because if you're just a wing, whether you're the two through the four, like you're going to be doing similar stuff, especially in KU's system where they're switching one through four there. But is he a guy who realistically could play any of those positions between two through four? And I guess what do you kind of view as, as being the biggest thing that he needs to do well to get, you know, I, I guess maximize the potential uh, for his freshman season? Yeah, I think that he could play those spots. I, I always felt like Wayne Seldon's athleticism played up at the three. You know, he, he played some at the two, especially early in his career. Um, obviously, a, a bigger-bodied wing, Seldon was a lot like MJ Rice. And I felt like 
when Selden moved to the three, you know, with Devontae at the two, you know, in that 2016-2017 season, I guess it would have been the year before, right? 15-16. Mm-hmm. Um, in that season, when, when he played more of the three, I thought it fit him a little bit better. And his athleticism played a little up more. And I think similar things about MJ Rice. I do think he's thick enough that you could play him as, as a small ball four, you know, with sort of that that three-wing look that you've talked about Kansas having, I do think he can play the two. He's skilled enough to play the two. And I think that's what makes, and I, I know this is different than, you know, talking about MJ Rice, but I think that that's really what makes the Kevin McCuller signing so fascinating for next year is I think that both Rice and Grady Dick maybe right now are more natural threes. And Kevin McCuller is a guy, I mean, he even played point guard at at Texas Tech. And so he's somebody that can be in that three-wing group, and he can defend twos, he can handle the ball like your two. And so you can have the three-wing group and still have a two who can handle the ball without having to go smaller. And so while I do think that Rice's best fit at this point is probably at the three, I do think that in a pinch or in different situations, you could see him playing two through four. When I was kind of breaking down, like it, it's really easy in the offseason to just be like, yeah, all these guys are going to play, and this guy's so talented, why would he not play? But then once – I, I think the the thing that, that I try to tell people is that, okay, think about it like this. Bill Self, we know typically he might only, once it gets down to March, play seven guys in rotation, maybe eight. Regular season, maybe it's eight or nine, maybe ten on a given game. Um, so I'll, I, either way, you got to cut some people off, and then it's it's doing the math of figuring out the minutes because I think that can be kind of eye opening in one light. And, and what I mentioned earlier, if you have 120 minutes to give out at the two through four positions, because just 40 at all three, let's say 10 of those minutes see a second lead guard playing next to Dewan Harris, and, and you could convince me it's going to be even more. I, I guess it just depends on the development of Joe Yesifu and Bobby Pettiford. But just for the sake of this, let's say 10 minutes. So now you have 110 minutes left at the two through four positions. Jalen Wilson has been playing around 30 minutes per game. I mean, you could make a case to me he's going to play like 35 a game because he is going to be in the running for Big 12 Player of the Year this year. Um, but let's just say 30. Let's just make it easy math. So now we have 80 minutes left. Kevin McCuller. Again, I feel like he is a, a Bill Self player that he is going to trust. He does a lot of things well. He plays a lot of positions. I could see him playing 30 minutes a game, too. I mean, now now you're down to 80 minutes or, or I mean, 50 minutes left after you take off him and Jalen. That's all you'd have. 50 minutes is all you'd have for K.J. Adams playing on the wing, for Grady Dick, and for M.J. Rice. Like, like that's yeah. not a lot. And, and, and I guess... Like, how do you kind of see that playing out? Would that be a situation where one of those McDonald's All-American wings, like whoever, I guess, is deemed to be either, you know, lower on the depth chart or maybe not as good of a fit for that specific team might only play 15, 20 minutes a game? I don't know. It it might be that they might play 15 to 20 minutes a game. And I I think a lot is going to depend on what the team needs. Uh, I think that that's going to be a big part of it. And and a lot of it's going to depend on how quickly Grady Dick starts knocking down shots. And that's not a knock on MJ Rice. That's not saying Grady Dick is is better than MJ Rice. But I think if Grady Dick shoots to his potential, he's going to have a role, and he's going to have a major role. And you look at 
when you look at his shooting profile coming out of high school, Derek, it it's one of the strongest shooting resumes that we've seen in the last ten years. When when you look at the actual like numbers on synergy, the the points per possession on catch and shoot, coming off screens, all these all these different things that you look at to see, hey, can this guy shoot? Where are his shots coming from? Is this something that's replicable? The the answer with Dick seems to be yes, but the thing is, is if he's in that lineup with those other guys, if DeWan Harris isn't shooting, if Kevin McCuller isn't shooting, and, and McCuller was shooting better last year before he got hurt, and and he wound up being a even with the injury, he wound up being a fairly decent, you know, unguarded catch and shoot guy. If Jalen Wilson doesn't shoot. All of a sudden, defenses know that that Grady Dick. Hey, if KU wants to get a three pointer, you know it's coming from him or, or Zach Clements, and, and and we don't know at this point if Grady Dick is going to make shots when he's the focus of defensive attention. If it comes to that, and so I do think that there are some some things in there to look at. You know, MJ Rice is more of a scorer than a shooter at this point, I feel like. And the other thing, like you were saying, you know, you said, you know, 10 minutes a game for for a potential lead guard next to Dewan Harris. And I think that's one of the big wild cards with projecting all of this, too, is, you know, at what point Bill Self has been so complimentary uh, of Bobby Pettiford. And at what point does that lead to actual on-court time? And I'm not talking about five minutes here, you know, ten minutes in this game. And, it, you know, if Yesifu makes a leap, takes a leap and, and everything else, you know, that could throw a monkey wrench into those minutes for for everybody else as well. Because not only are you saying, hey, DeWan Harris is going to play 30 minutes a game, Pettiford and Yesifu have to fight for those 10 minutes, but then they're also potentially fighting for, you know, minutes alongside him as well. And so it, it is a situation where you could get a little bit of a log jam where one of these, uh, one of these McDonald's all Americans maybe don't play as much as a lot of people thought they would a month or two ago. I was just thinking about this and maybe it's not like all that important to, to boil something down to needing like one skill, but I think to the national title and, you know, KU doesn't win it without Remy Martin, and you think about some of the the plays he made, or what's coming to mind right now is this kind of step back three or off the sure. three he makes in, in kind of the wing over. I think it was our moment. It was like Bicot, a step right? back, step to the side. Yes. Like it was. I, I still don't know how he got that angle, Derek. Like I mean, he just he kind of teleported about five feet to the side <laughs> yes. to bring that thing up, and then wasn't even really set, and you know, and it was pretty much the purest shot he took all year. Yes, and so, like, I, I don't know, like, I don't want to say, like, oh, to win a title, you have to have someone who can do that, and and I don't know if KU had even anybody else on the, like, as great as Ochai was from three and as efficient as Christian Brown was, we didn't really see that happening from those guys. It was mostly off the catch, so, again, like, I don't know if that is a necessity, but I, I do kind of feel like that helps to have a guy who can hit a, a three off the dribble, essentially, and as I look at this team, like you said, with, with a lot of those guys, like you have questions, and, and this has been a conversation we've had, that the biggest question you have for this Kansas roster coming up is the three-point shooting. But you can convince yourself that, okay, Jalen will be better, um, and that Kevin McCuller, like the numbers that he showed off the catch are a lot better, um, and, and stuff like that. 
but you go down the list, and, and I'm kind of wondering here, like, who does KU have that could shoot a three off the dribble? It, yep. Like, who comes to mind on the roster? Is there anyone? Um, I, I think Grady Dick can shoot off the dribble, but again, that's something that we haven't seen on a college basketball court yet, and it's not unusual for guys who project as really good shooters to come in and, and not shoot particularly well their first year. You know, if you remember right, Kirk Heinrich wasn't a great three-point shooter his first year, and that was one of his primary strengths was his ability to both handle the ball and, and shoot it, and he came in and he struggled as a shooter as a freshman, and then I think his sophomore year he made, what, like 50%, like almost immediately? So, I mean, there there are some adjustment periods and things that you have to worry about there, and it's it's very interesting because I feel like a lot of the top teams this year have crises of shooting, and you know, I don't know if that means that we've circled all the world, all the wrong teams, you know, as as the best teams, and they aren't going to actually get to that point. But like Kentucky, for instance, one of the things that I have issues with with Kentucky is you can put a lineup on the court for Kentucky that can shoot, but it doesn't involve their best players. So how do you how do you mix that together? where you're putting your best players on the court and yet you still have guys out there who can knock down shots. And I think when you look at Arkansas, you know, that's shooting's a question. When you look at Duke, I think shooting's a question. Uh, I think it's a very real question for a lot of these teams that we're projecting as top 10 teams right now. And so it's, uh, that that's going to be one of the things that that's going to have to be answered in the early months of this next season is did we just flat miss on on so many of these top ten teams because they aren't going to be able to shoot the ball well enough or did we go ahead and, and worry too much about something where maybe McCuller does shoot well maybe Wilson does shoot well and this is all a non-topic by December. He is Kevin Flaherty. I wanted to get some Big 12 stuff, but I had fun with the rest of that conversation. So I'll have to get to that in a couple weeks when I get back from Germany. But, Kevin, I appreciate you hopping on, and I hope you had safe travels and had a good time out on uh, your vacation a week ago. And thanks for hopping on today. Yeah, have a great time on your vacation as well, Derek. Talk to you soon. That is Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. And uh, two hours down, one to go. We'll be back after this time out here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.